Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Yeah. Anyways, we're in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. Um, he very early on quotes himself as being the writer of this book and he designates himself as an apostle and that of course is an apostle with the big A. They're apostles. We're all apostles. An apostle is just someone who's sent. That's really what it means. Apostelos. Apo from, stello to send. So you're sent. You're an ambassador, a messenger. They're all, they're all apostles. We're, all, we're an apostle. We're a messenger of the good news. But an apostle with the big A was chosen by Christ personally to be the foundation for the church. These were the foundation stones of the church in a sense. They were the founders. And God gave them certain privileges and responsibilities and gifts to do that. Um, for example, most of the apostles are the ones who wrote the word of God down for us. They're the authors of scripture. Um, they received messages directly from God. They, they had God speak to them sometimes audibly or in visions. Um, and Paul says, I, I was an apostle not because I chose that as a vocation. It's not because I took an aptitude test and I was, came high out on the Pharisee end or the apostle end and I picked that job. How did Paul get to be an apostle, remember? Yeah. How did he get to be an apostle? He was a Damascus. Pardon? In the road to Damascus. Yeah. Jesus what was he out to do? Pardon? What was he out to do? And God showed up. Paul did not start out to Damascus thinking, this is the day I'm going to become a Christian. Paul started out to Damascus saying, this is the day I'm going to go get some Christians to kill them. And God interfered and intervened. Um, it, Paul didn't choose his job. God chose it for him. And then later on he says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Not, not, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much on a rabbit trail here, but I, I think there's some truth to this. Why, why did God choose Paul, ultimately? Why did God choose Paul? Because he wanted to. Yeah. That's that's the only answer. Um, did Paul? Could Paul have said, "No, Lord, I don't. I don't think I want to be an apostle." Could he have turned down the job? Do you think? Could Paul have told the Lord on the road to Damascus, "No, I think I'll stay blind. I don't want to be an apostle." No, he did. Why? Because God chose him, and God ordained him to be an apostle. And it was a non-optional calling. And God knew that he would be what he was. Well, that depends on whether you're an Arminian or a Calvinist. But <laughs> beside the point, the, the bottom line is Paul was chosen for this task by God. Right. Anyway, he carved the pie. God chose him to do this. 
And he knew who he was. Yeah. He knew it was the Lord. Yeah. And uh, he said, I, I didn't do this because I chose to be an apostle. I was I did this because God chose me to be an apostle and ordained me, as we'll find in Ephesians 3, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He was chosen to do that. And uh and, and, he's, and he says, I'm writing this, and all the brethren who are with me. Now, we, you know, we don't know who these brethren are, but Paul had some buddies in the ministry. And in many cases, it was Timothy and Titus. Sometimes it was Silas. Silvanus, by the way, is Silas. Um, Paul had other men, men with him, but Paul wrote this book. But others were with him when he was writing this. Others that are with him, and all the brethren who are with me in the ministry. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, we could spend the next five classes talking about verse 3. And anybody who knows me know that we can do that. Because there's a lot of truth there. Verse 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That was a standard greeting by Paul. Grace refers to God's unmerited favor. Peace is the peace with God. The war's over. Um, the sinner is at war with God. Now they say, look, you know, I don't have any axe to grind against God. I, I don't. Well, that's not the point. The point is God's at war with them, isn't he? Whether they're at war with God, God is at war with them. And when we come to Christ, the war is over. The battle is over. We're no longer at war. We're his friends. And it says here, our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. That's what Christ did. He gave himself for our sins. Now that implies that we have a problem with sins, doesn't it? He gave himself for us. I, I think, you know, you look at all the different words that describe salvation and all of that. I think the word number one is substitution. He took my place. Instead of me suffering the wrath of God, it was him who suffered the wrath of God. Do you deserve to go to heaven? Anybody here think they deserve to go to heaven? Now? Even now. Do you deserve to go to heaven now? Do you deserve to go to heaven now? You don't deserve nothing. You don't deserve nothing. What do you deserve? Don't say now. You deserve hell, don't you? That's what you deserve. It's grace. He gave himself for us. And, what, and he gave himself for our sins that he might do what? Deliver us from what? This present evil age. Now listen, it's stupid, it's silly, it's dumb for Christians to say, well, God's forgiven my sin. Yes. Um, he'll forgive me for any sin I do. Yeah. So therefore it doesn't matter if I sin, so I'll just go sin. Why did he redeem you? He was set free. You know, you ever see how so many of the commercials on TV are so stupid? One of the dumbest commercials I've ever seen is some little kid comes in, got dirt, mud, crud all over him. His mom takes his clothes off, drops them in the washer, washes them up, and the next scene, what's the kid running out of the house wearing? The clean clothes. 
Where's he going to go? Back in the mud. Back into the mud. Why would God go to all the trouble to redeem you, to take you out of the mud pit, as it says in, in Psalms, right? Take you out of the miry clay, out of the mud, out of the pit, clean you off, wash you up, forgive you your sins, say, well, it really doesn't matter if you're sinning. You know, go back and sin. It doesn't matter. No. He didn't save you to be cruddy. He saved you to be holy. Is holiness necessary for a believer? Yeah. Yes, it is. Because God did not save you to just live your life any old way you want. God saved you to be holy. God saved you to be holy. Who is it? Oh, there. Yeah, come on. That's that's the boss and the, her little companion. So, um, God saved you to be holy. He didn't save you to live your life the way you wanted to. He's, he, he, he redeemed us to deliver us from the present evil age. So why is it that as Christians we think it doesn't matter what we do? It does matter what we do. Well, he'll get victims because we'll keep doing it. You bet he will. And he'll get victims he'll show us the and let me put it to you this way. You show me a person who says, it doesn't matter whether I sin because God will forgive me. I'll show you a person that, that number one, totally does not understand what grace is all about. Or I'll show you someone who's not a Christian. As a believer, you can't sin and get away with it. Oh, we'd like to, but God will convict us. Yeah, God will convict you. Now, I'll tell you what, you know, you show me somebody who's living in sin and it doesn't matter to them. I don't care how many aisles they walked, I don't know how many sinners' prayers they prayed or anything like that. They're probably not a Christian. Because you can't sin and, and enjoy it as a believer. God will convict you. He, he delivered from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Why are you delivered from this present evil age? Because God... You bore our sin. He bore our sins and he, because God ordained it that way. It's according to God's will. That we've been delivered from the present evil. It is not God's will that you go sin and it doesn't matter. It is God's will that you live a holy life because that is why he redeemed you. Can there be such a thing as a nominal Christian? Depends what you mean by nominal. Yeah. Uh, people that let's say that they're saved and everything, but they don't live like it. Well, and that person's not a Christian. Then that person's not a Christian. If you are a believer, you're different. But your babies too, you know, you gotta grow. You're gonna grow. You're gonna grow. But you shall be someone who becomes a, a believer supposedly. And nothing ever changes, ever. Were they really a Christian? Or are they really a Christian? Right. Nothing ever changes? It doesn't mean that we're instantly perfect. It doesn't mean that we're absolutely holy from, you know, we, we never make them. It means that we're growing. And we've talked about this. There's, there's an upward progression in our lives. There's an upward path. And as long as you have that upward path, you can be assured that God's doing work in your heart. I get problems when people say, well, you know, I know this guy... 
I remember he came forward 25 years ago. Now, yeah, he's a drunkard. He left his wife. He hasn't been in church for 25 years. Never reads his Bible. But he's a Christian because he came forward. No. Doesn't mean anything. Is your life different? By the way, that's what the New Testament says. There's only one indicator of a belief in your life, and that is your life is different. It's not that it's perfect. It's different. Even in the small things, you see some kind of difference. Like, there is a difference. You know, Christian that's even just become a Christian, you still see some kind of difference. Even if it's the smallest thing. Yeah. You know, that smallest thing can mean the world's that to that believer at that time, and then as the growth process continues, you see the bigger steps. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. Hold on. And that and that, that means completely new. You know, it, it and that's not you, that's that's Christ working in you. He changes your nature. You say that it is a drastic change, you know, in a cardinal change. Um, it progresses, like he said, you know, very much agree with him. Peter was one of the disciples with Jesus. And you remember the incident when he cut the man's ear off in the garden and Jesus speaks to him and says, Peter, put up his sword. He that live by the sword shall die by the sword. Uh, even Thomas, who doubted him, who was a disciple of him, of, of Jesus Christ. Many instances that many people, we, if we would look more at our own lives and um, not at so much stereotype to look at somebody else's life, because it's hard for us to get the mode out of somebody else's eye. We have the beam in our we own. We have the beam in our own eye. So yeah. it's very important for us to, to look at our own lives because I think. You know, a lot of times we look at other people because, like you said earlier, we have we have regulation for others and regulation for ourselves when it fits us. You know, on our own agenda. So I very much agree with that. There, there's a difference in a person's life when they become a Christian. I, I get, a, I have problems when somebody says, "Well." You know, did you believe in Christ? Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean you're a Christian necessarily, because no. the devils believe. Right, right. All right. The I, as I read the entire New Testament, I see one, one primary characteristic of a believer. You're different. Right. You're different. You're not perfect, but you're different. Right. Your appetites are different. Your desires are different. And it's because you're changed. God has changed you from the inside out. You're not the same old, same old. And so when you look at your life, you, you, you can't say, well, I'm not a Christian because I've sinned. You say, you know, I, I don't sin as much today as I did 20 years ago or five years ago. Or, you know, I love the Lord more today than I did last year or the year before. There's a progress. There's a growing. There's a thirst. There's a hunger. There's a direction of upward. Doesn't mean you have reverses now and then, but overall, the direction is upward. We're saved to be holy. And God makes us, and people say, well, you know, you're mixing law and grace. No, you're not, because the God who saves us by grace keeps us by grace and grows us by grace. Yeah. Yeah, Jim. I think that, I've heard some preaching on this lately. I think for the church in America, um, there's so many people that, that say that they are a Christian. And I don't, just from my own experience, mm -hmm. I thought I got saved back in 1990. Yeah. I lasted about six months and looked like the devil up on a roller coaster. I think I truly came to faith in Christ about four years ago. So I saw just a drastic change in my life where there was real conviction. Mm -hmm. 
doesn't bother myself. Or prior to that, I go out and have sex and it's a big deal. You know, feel a little bad, a little bad about it, but I wasn't, I wasn't crushed by it. And I think that's, you know, the difference. And I think if we look at, I think there's so many, there's so many churches in America where there's so many people sitting there saying, Lord, Lord, but they really don't know. And I think it's, that's sad and it's scary. Because, I mean, for me, I think it, it's better to, to go ahead and confront someone, especially someone you know, who says that they're a Christian, and you don't see no fruit. I would rather confront my brother in the flesh or whoever it may be and say, you know, I think you're going to hell because there's, there's no fruit in your life. You know? That's it. Sometimes you have to be careful with that, though, because there's a lot of times in people's Christian walk where they go through. I've, I've been saved ever since a small child, and I went away to college, and it was a secular school, and my faith was shaken by professors who constantly told me that the world evolved over millions of years and they could prove it to me. And for almost nine months straight, I didn't pray, I didn't read the Bible, I stopped going to church. And how did you I feel? I didn't go into a life of, of sin, I didn't go out and get drunk and sleep with whoever, I just said, whoa. Well, I, I realized I believed what I believed because I was taught it, and not because I accepted it for myself. And then what I started to do was I started gathering books on different religions and said, I need to figure this out. What, what, what is it that I do believe? And I realized that, that entire time, I did believe but I needed to establish it for myself. Mm -hmm. Someone who would have looked at me for those, for that nine months wouldn't have had a clue. They would have said, she's a nice girl who has morals, but I wouldn't have talked to anybody about God because I couldn't. And I know people who have gone through a month or two or mm -hmm. however long, but I'm not saying it doesn't. Yeah, but you, you're talking about yourself, someone that was struggling with God, all right, versus someone that is just going out and, and living however they want to live, blatantly sinning against God, and not being bothered by it. I'll give you an example. I got two sisters. One, both were living with, with individuals, right? And one sister, I asked her, how do you feel if you have sex? Great. She's not I'm talking physical. Your heart, what's going on in there? Nothing. I asked my other sister, she said she's convicted by God. There's a difference. You, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a difference. We we are not we we are not the Holy Spirit. I can't go around saying, "Well, you're in, you're not. You're in, you're out. You're in, you're out." You can't do that. What I can do is I can I can I can confront a person if they're living in sin. I can confront them and, and tell them that the that the nature of a believer is not to live in unrepentant patterns of sin. And if they can live that way and not be bothered by it, then that is evidence that they or may not be a Christian. doesn't mean that they're not. It means they may not be. Now, here's the question to ask yourself. If someone is truly a believer and you treat them as a non-believer, does that hurt them? What now? If someone is truly a believer and you treat them as a pagan, is that going to bother them? No. Is that going to hurt them eternally? They're going to hurt them? No. Yeah. No. won't bother them a bit. Now, if someone is a pagan and you talk them into thinking they're a Christian, does that hurt them eternally? Yes, it does. Yeah. So if you're going to make a mistake, where should you make the mistake? It's not my responsibility to convince you you're a Christian. I can't do that. You do know you do know nowhere in the Bible does it tell me to convince you that you're a Christian. No, no. Who does the conviction? The Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? A small, in a voice, a conviction. 
that you have. All I can do is I can say, listen, I don't know if you're saved or not. I'm saying that you tell me you're a Christian and I look at your life and I see one who's given over to sex and drugs and alcohol and it doesn't seem to bother you. If I were you, I'd really question whether I was a true believer or not. Right. That's all I can do. I can't I say, yeah, I see, the, I see the halo. I guess that's or I don't see the halo. Yeah. But we need to be careful, like she said, not to be censorious and, and make ourselves, well, we are, the, we are the ones who are able to determine from a spiritual meter, yeah, you're in, you're not, you're in. Yeah, I, you're I really a pagan. You can't do that. I would, I would rather, I would rather um, share that with someone that I really cared about and if that's going to offend them. And and, and and it goes back to right, and it, it's better. It's better. You have to deal with the right attitude too. Like saying, "Well, you're a bum, and I'm not. I'm holy." Well, that's that's not the way to do it. Yeah, you, know, you were going to say something. You had your hand up. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, I think I, I was just going to comment on what he said about um, you know this culture. When I, I come from a different culture, and I see. A lot of um, you know things here sometimes that bother me. There seems to be you know sometimes almost it's like uh, it's popular to be you know a Christian, and some of it is is, is very cultural. You know a lot of people have mixed you know Christianity and culture. In fact, if you took a survey, you ask people if they're Christians, but they say they, they are as to whether they have um, appropriated the faith. By themselves, you know, they don't know that. But you know, because it's, it's a cultural thing, and um, so in situations or countries where it's not popular to be a Christian, where in fact you have to suffer for your faith, you know, you don't get this easy believism. You know, yeah. People, you know, have to be serious, and you know, so the distinction there is very clear. You know, it's either you, you know, you are a Christian and you are willing to go all the way, or, or not. Because I mean, if, if you just, um, if, if if it's the faith of your great grand, you know, parents, you're not going to be willing to suffer for that. It's no. something that has to really be, you know, from your heart that you know, the Lord has laid upon your heart. You've been convicted, and this you've owned it. You know, it's yours, so you're willing to suffer for that. So when it's so easy to become a Christian and you know, like in this society, that's why you, know, you find people that they pay a lot of uh, lip service. You know, to, to and I think in a lot of cases, you've hit something very important. In a lot of cases, we have the tendency to make being a Christian easier than it really is. Um, the rich young ruler came to Christ and said, Good sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Christ gave him the wrong answer. Go keep the law. He said, I've done that. Well, then go sell all your property. Well, would that have saved him? No. Christ was trying to get him to understand something, and that is he wasn't willing to give up all that he had for all that Christ had. And what Christ did is Christ did not lower the bar. No. He raised the bar. Do you know there's nothing, if you're going to learn anything about me when we get to Ephesians, you're going to understand one thing. I'm a diehard believer in election. And there is nothing you're going to do, there is nothing you can say to keep an elect person from salvation. Because they are going to become a believer at any cost. 
If they have to die right there, they will become a believer. And by the way, you go back in church history, you go back to the Roman persecutions, you have example after example of this. Where Christians are led out to be martyred, and the soldier that leads them out sees their faith and becomes to Christ and dies with them. All right, you can't keep a person from Christ. And here's the other thing to understand. If that person is not elect, there's no way you're going to make them a Christian. And there's no way you're going to make it easy by just saying, well, we'll just lower the bar down here until we can get a bunch of people to come in. Because Christ didn't do that. All right. And the point goes back, what is the cost? I remember John MacArthur was talking to George Evans from, from Russia. And I remember this so well because it stuck with me. He was talking to Georgie after the church service at their church, and John was saying, you know, I don't know how you can be a Christian in Russia. It's so tough. You know, you're persecuted for your faith. You know, you're hounded. How, 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 how can you be a Christian? And he said the most amazing thing is Georgie Vins looked him in the face and says, you know, I don't know how you do it here. I couldn't stand being in your country. He says, because here, I don't know who, who, who the Christians are. Over there, we, we know who the Christians are. They're the ones suffering for the faith. Over here, you've got everybody at your church, and what's the cost? Mm. Nothing. It's because we're complacent and lazy. We're complacent and we're lazy. What's the cost of Christianity? How many of you are going to have your boss laugh at you because you came here tonight to study the Bible? How many of you are going to lose your job because you came here tonight to study the Bible? Well, you go to some other countries, you lose everything. See, there's no cost. All right. And yeah, I, I, we, need, we need to think about We need to think about that. And we need to make sure that when we present the gospel, we don't water it down. We don't alter the offensive. The gospel is an offensive message. It says you're cruddy and there's nothing you can do to fix yourself. <clears throat> You have no hope. You're doomed. And unless you believe on Christ and Christ alone, you're sunk. See, that's right. I can blame that there is a cost to it. There is. The cost is repentance. And, 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 and what makes you decide to make that move to repentance? God works in you to bring you to that point. See, because I've got a list of a sister that's a lesbian. And I went to their church, a place in Cleveland, and didn't know when I went, as things went on, the pastor was gay. All right. Now, my sister would tell you that Jesus Christ is her Lord. All right. Wow, you don't. Yeah, no. Big time. No. Probably more than a man, but they're preaching the Christ preaching. God saved you to redeem you from your sin. Why would he tell you to go and sin? Because it doesn't matter. He redeemed you to save you from that. To deliver you from the present evil age. And those who are delivered are different. They're not perfect. And they may go through, like, like she said over here, an extended period of time. Nine months, a year, where they're struggling with an issue or trying to come to grips. Are they really a believer? Is this Christianity really true, really not? But if they are a true believer, what happens in the end? They always come back. If they are not a believer, what happens? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. They went out from us because they were not of us. 
If they had been of us, they would have stayed with us. But it may went out from us that it may be made manifest. They're not all of us. Mr. Shea, do you remember the story of uh, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the tenth verse? It says, For demons has forsaken us. Having loved this present evil age. Yep. Only places. And it was obvious that he had to have accepted Christ one time or the other because he was in the uh, pursuit with Paul. Mm -hmm. But he said that demons having loved this present world. In other words, I don't believe that demons had given up the present world. Uh, and most likely, Demas was never a believer. Right. And then uh, to her, I'm saying to her, and then to his, uh, the inadequate fig tree that Jesus cursed. It shows the barrenness of the pretty and picturesque leaves that was on the tree that could be viewed, but there was no fruit, even though that type of season that year there was no figs anyway. So that figs that are bare that time. That's a big. That's a. That's an illustration. Yeah. The, probably the best illustration of this is the parable of the soils. Okay. Sir so went out to sow and he threw the seed. Okay, yeah. and, the and some fell on hard soil, some fell among thorns on the rocks, and then good soil. Which soil represents true believers? And that's the only soil. You could preach a sermon, and you probably guys have probably done it. Somebody comes down the aisle, they're bawling their eyes out, and they make a confession, and you say, Yeah, they're in. Five months later, where are they at? In the bar. Back in the bar, back in the world, back with drugs, back into the world. And you say, what happened? And they say, well, what's wrong with this? Or, ah, oh, you know, that, that was temporary. Well, yeah. You might have somebody else come down and they're not bawling their eyes out. No, right. And they're very logical about it. And they don't shed a tear. And five months later, what are they doing? Well, they're in Bible college going to prepare to be a missionary somewhere. Right. What's different? Except they're changed. God changes you. That's right. The grace that saves you transforms you into His image. When we get saved, you know, when we accept Christ, we believe that we're saved. Yeah. There's a difference. When you come to Christ and you give your life to Him, you finally surrender to Him. Now you can be starting to understand the fruits and be shown well, in your life. I guess my only question to that is that can you be a Christian? Can you come to Christ? This goes back to a big argument. I guess we're going to get through five verses, folks, but um, we'll get the rest of it. Can you come to Christ? And can you take him as your Lord, while at the same time saying, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to think later on about maybe actually obeying what he wants me to do. No, well, you said if you, if you believe in me that I die, then you are saved. You are saved. Yeah, and, and I, I guess my response back to that is, what do I need to do to be a believer? Do I, do I need to believe? Yes. Do I need to come to Christ? Yes, as I am? Yes. But in that salvific process, in that process of coming to Christ, there is an acknowledgement, I think, yeah, sure. that He is my Lord. And it's not that I say, well, you know, I really don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to take that. But boy, you know, I don't want Him to run my life. I don't want Him to 
I, I want I want to run my own life, but I want to take him as my savior. I don't think you could split that apart. Right. That does happen a lot of people because a lot of people are saved when they're 13, 14 years old. The majority of people are saved, from what I understand, at that age. All I'm saying is, what is the evidence of salvation? A changed life. Okay? What I'm saying. Right, but you really don't get changed until when you decide to give your all, give yourself to my kids. See, and I would disagree with that. I would say no. I would say you are a change from the moment of salvation. You're different. Now, you may, you, what I think you, I agree with you on is there may come a point in your life when you really get serious and take a big growth spurt. We all have those. I agree with that. But I am saying even prior to that, there is a difference. Okay, there is a difference. And I th the only danger I, I have, the only reservation I have about, about that view is what we tend to do, and we do this very well in Christianity today, we split apart obedience from salvation. And what we do is in our crusades and that, we lower the bar down. You know, we sing 50 verses of Just As I Am, and they come forward. And, and we don't tell them, you know, being a Christian is not just taking Christ as Lord and Savior. It, it, it's, it's, it's all you are for all He is. All right, it's obedient. There's an obedience factor in there. But we do is we say, well, let's not talk... We won't worry about this lordship stuff and all. Just, just come to Jesus and, be, and take Him as your Savior. And later on, you know, you worry about if getting really serious and actually obeying Him. That comes later. I don't think you can you can split those two things apart. It may be that you don't understand what it all means, and it may be it may take you years before you really begin that 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 walk of obedience. But there's a difference. You can't split it apart. What do you say that's a result of? Obedience is a result of your salvation. Yeah. It's a result of your salvation. But it's God who, who brings you to that point right. of acknowledging Him. Right. But you're a baby then, too. You're a baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're a baby. You realize, you know that you do have to give yourself to Him, but you don't want to, but you still are doing things. He wants you to do it. There's a, yeah. certain areas of your life, but not totally. There's a growing awareness. Yeah. Then after you grow and you learn and right. There's a growing awareness. What I'm saying is I don't think you can come to Christ and be aware at the point of your salvation, consciously say, Well, I, I want salvation, but I, I don't want to obey him. I don't think you can say that. I think you can say, I don't understand what it means to obey Him. I don't think you consciously come to Christ and say, I want Him as Savior. I, I don't think you understand. I don't think we understand all the implications of that, of what it means to come to Christ. But I don't, for instance, when, when that rich young ruler came to Christ, he was just trying to get him to acknowledge one thing. Are you going to do what I tell you to do? Well, we learn, what we learn that all comes false there's a growing awareness. What, what I'm against is people say, look, if you pray the prayer you're in, it doesn't matter if your life's changed or not. It doesn't matter if you ever get on with Christ or not. Just pray the prayer you're in. I don't think that's true. But that's what a lot of churches do every Sunday. Yeah. If he really does come in here, you're different. Yeah, I, I think we're arguing about semantics here, but I think we're saying the same thing. Because I put it on myself and say, I'm sure. Yeah. And and there came a time in your life when you when you really got serious and really got into the word. Yeah, we, we all face that. That doesn't mean you weren't a Christian. 
because you were still different. When you really got serious. Yeah. Well, we got everybody's leaving now. I guess it's nine o'clock, right? Cows come home? All right. Well, we, we, we'll go ahead and close in prayer, and then if you want to sit and rehab for a while, we can do that. <laughs> Father, thanks so much for this time, and we didn't get very far in Galatians tonight, but uh, we thank you for the discussion. I pray that we'd all, we'd all be changed, um, and that you'd work in our hearts and lives, and I pray that we'd ask ourselves the tough questions. Why do we do what we do? And we just thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.